0: Hello, hello, this is Kathy Cola's Audiobooks, and today we start Season 7 with The Roadrunner Café by Jamie Zernt. Twelve-year-old Carson and his mother, with an empty wine bottle by her side, discuss the other woman in his recently dead father's life. Here we go. Carson can see the top of his father's tree from his sister's window, can see its shadow bending down the sidewalk in the moonlight. She's gone missing again, escaped from their two-story coffin, which is how Carson now thinks of their home. His mom, too, isn't in her room, although that isn't all that unusual. She sleeps on the couch downstairs most nights, and nobody can blame her for that. His sister, though, Carson can blame. None of them needs to be worrying about her on top of everything else. Carson, after stalling longer than he probably should have, eventually finds his mom sitting on the couch downstairs. A scrabble board on the coffee table, with the letters W-I-L-Y laid out across its center. His father's nickname. Mom, you okay? go back to bed, Carson. There's an empty wine bottle on the floor, another half gone on the coffee table. Wiley's a proper noun, he tells her, just to poke, but his mom doesn't so much as look up. Instead, she pushes a few of the tiles around and mumbles, there was nothing proper about your father. Carson, not about to argue with her, takes a seat on the floor and slides the silver bag from the table, placing it in his lap. How many games had he played with her while waiting to close up the restaurant? Hundreds? And his father always talking, rambling on and on to some poor customer about his crazy plans to build his family a better life. That's why people called him Wiley, because inevitably all of these plans ended with an anvil falling on him. Only this time, the anvil had fallen on all of them. His mom taking the worst of it. You know, me and your father used to sit around watching you and your sister like some people do campfires. Her voice is heavy and dark. Carson used to like it when she got drunk. We were mesmerized by you and Georgie. Every little spit and crackle of your lives, we were there, lost in it with you burning with you. Someday, when you have your own kids and start turning into us, you'll understand what I'm saying. You'll understand because you'll be us. Just sort of happens whether you want it to or not. Carson doesn't say anything about the campfire, but it's a little funny, seeing as how he's been watching her burn up for months now. He feels around in the bag for letters. Something he used to do when she wasn't looking. Carson would tell himself it leveled the playing field, seeing as how she won nearly every game. But he always wondered if she knew. Inside the bag, he spells out G-O-N-E. You want to play? His mom asks, sifting through some of the tiles scattered about on the table. A little late, don't you think? Is it? She says. I guess I lost track of time. Carson hadn't noticed before, but there are balled-up pieces of paper on the table, others on the floor. You're writing poetry again, he says, nodding toward the papers. But his mother doesn't respond. Instead, she lays down another word. Sally. Okay, Carson says. I'll bite. Who's Sally? Proper bitch. His mother says, her face like a blank tile as she refills her glass. Mom, there was somebody else, honey. At first, Carson thinks maybe somebody else died, but then his mom says, There was another woman in your father's life. She pushes one of the crumpled pieces of paper toward Carson with the stem of her glass. Go ahead, she says. See for yourself. Carson flattens the paper out on the desk and begins to read. It's a love letter, but one that seems written by somebody Carson's age rather than a grown man. My heart is a canoe on the glassy lake of your heart. You awakened appetites I long thought stapled shut. I am a brush fire, a walking conflagration of love. This is Dad, Carson says when he can't read anymore in all his glory. He sounds like a moron. People tend to sound that way when they're in love. Carson tries to think if there were any customers named Sally. The only one he can think of was about 200 years old and had a growth sprouting from her back the size of a baseball. He loved you, Mom. I know that much. We saw it every day. Sure, she says, fidgeting with the tiles the love of my life. Carson, trying his best to appear indifferent, a thing he was quickly becoming an expert at, says, who was she? His mother doesn't answer him, though. Instead, she adds a few more tiles to the board. W-H-I-T-E. Sally White? Do you know her? I don't think so. Are you gonna fight her? His mom laughs a short bark of a laugh. Maybe, she says. I don't know. Violence never solves anything. You taught us that, remember? I taught you a lot of things. A lot of good things, were they? Carson shrugs. I don't feel 12 anymore, he says, not sure what to say. I don't feel much of anything. Oh, honey his mom says, the wine suddenly disappearing from her voice. I probably shouldn't have told you any of this. There's just not a whole lot of protocol for what we've been dealing with. Carson would play understatement if it weren't too long of a word. Can I tell you something without you freaking out? He asks, remembering to tell her about his older sister. His mother gives him a crooked smile. Probably best not to make any promises in that department. Georgie isn't in her room. His mother lies back on the couch and to the ceiling says, How much more am I supposed to take? I can call her, Carson says. Did you check the office? No. Inside the bag, Carson spells out another word. If they were actually playing, he'd get a double word score for it noose want to check it out together his mother says she sounds tired the phrase dead tired comes to mind which is almost funny almost not really come on she says softly it'll be okay then almost as if his mother has just somehow seen the horrible word he spelled inside the bag She motions him to her side. Carson knows what's in store, but he goes to her anyway. When she pulls him tight against her, her breath is sour. The smell makes him feel like he's just stuck his tongue to the old nine-volt. You know, you are by far the best thing that's ever happened to me, right? I know, he tells her, trying not to wince. I should start calling you Elmer. No, you shouldn't. Don't you want to know why? Not particularly. Because you happen to be the glue that's holding your old mother together right now. Great, Carson thinks. No pressure there. As they make their way upstairs, Carson realizes the noose has been swaying through his mind in one way or another ever since he found his dad. After it happened... Carson had tried to figure out exactly how his dad did it. He wondered if his dad had researched hangman's knots, if he'd practiced looping the coils over and over again. Thirteen, to be exactly unlucky. Until he had it just right. Did he know the loop at the end was called a Honda? And did he try the running bowline knot first? Or was that one too difficult for him? Are you okay? Carson asks once they're standing outside the door, his mother swaying there just a touch. I don't know what that means anymore. When Carson just stares at the door, she kneels down, grabs a hold of his hand. Here's what I think, she says. I think what happens to us when we die is something nobody has even ever thought of yet. I think it's different than what any of us are expecting. Does that make sense? Yeah, Carson says. I guess. His mother smiles. It's a beautiful smile. A smile Carson would do just about anything to see more of. Okay, she says standing. We ready? No, Carson says, his heart suffocating. But I guess we're going to do it anyway. When his mom opens the door and turns on the lights, neither of them call out for Georgie. It's almost like somebody's asleep in the room and they don't want to wake them. Carson watches his mother, how her eyes go to the spot over the desk. He wonders if that'll ever stop. If someday they won't see the ghost of a noose hanging there. His father's eyes had been open and the tip of his tongue, a hideous shade of blue, sticking out. And his neck was longer, stretched out. That bothered Carson the most. Though he wasn't sure exactly why. It just seemed so... unnecessary. Carson wonders what's going through his mom's mind. He hopes it's nothing. He wishes memories were like car windows and all you had to do was squeegee them clean. But that's not how it works. Some memories are stubborn. Some stick. Like bird shit. The police took the rope afterwards. He always wondered what they did with it, if it's still sitting in a box somewhere. That bothers him, too, just knowing it's out there in the ordinary world, looking like an ordinary piece of rope, when it was anything but. Carson checks behind the desk and finds Georgie's sleeping bag there. She'd taken to sleeping under the desk soon after it happened. There was nothing he and his mom could say or do to make her stop. So after a while, they'd stop trying. Carson doesn't mention the sleeping bag to his mom. His sister's always been a little strange, with or without a dead dad. There's a can of paint in the corner of the room, some brushes. They were going to paint the room at some point, but nothing ever came of it. His mom's idea. One of the many ill conceived plans to somehow erase the room. Another idea was to turn it into a bar for the restaurant customers. This was Carson's idea. That way, if ghosts really did exist, his dad would have some company. Instead, though, the room became a mausoleum. All that was missing was the corpse. On the wall, there's a framed picture of the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. Along the bottom, it reads, Rule number eight. Whenever possible... Make Gravity the Coyote's Greatest Enemy, from Chuck Jones's Rules for the Show. Gordon, a longtime customer and friend, had given it to his dad years ago. There are nine rules in all, but Carson could never remember them all. He knows rule number eight is important, though. That it somehow sums up his mysterious father. Everything is now covered with a ghostly layer of dust, but the room still feels thick and sturdy to Carson. Probably because his father's old desk is made from hickory, the weathered hardwoods from maple. Then there are the wooden beams overhead. I hope it hurt, Carson thinks when he looks up at them, immediately wishing he could unthink it. When they were younger, Carson and Georgie would play on the floor, entertaining themselves with games of Scrabble or Clue, while their father ran the numbers for the day and talked. Always talking. A constant deluge of words with never a drought in sight. But now that Carson thinks about it, there was a drought. Near the very end. Like Wiley had finally dried up. Like a desert had moved into his mouth. His mother stands at the window. There's no sway to her now almost as if the solidness of the room has steadied her, sobered her. I hate that tree, she says, staring down at the street below. I hate the shadow it casts. She's speaking softly, but to Carson, her words boom. They rattle the room. Dad's tree, he says, his voice sounding big too, even though he's barely speaking above a whisper. She nods, without turning around. I used to love it, but it's just another reminder now. The trees were planted when his mom and dad bought the place. Then, two more when Georgie and Carson came along, one for each of them. Georgie's not here, Carson says, no longer bothering to keep his voice down. It feels good, liberating. Can we go now? His mother nods, then turns away from the window. She's been crying. There's something childlike about the way she wipes at the tears with her sleeves, trying to hide them from him. Carson glares at the beams overhead. Do you see? Do you see what you're doing? I'm going to reopen this place, his mom says, suddenly draining her glass and setting it on the desk. If you'll help me. She walks over to the corner before Carson can answer, picks up the can of paint, and heads for the door. Come on, let's get out of here. When they get downstairs and turn the lights on, the restaurant looks like it's been abandoned for years rather than months. His mother, excited now, tells Carson about her plans for the reopening, about repainting the sign outside. We can't keep calling it the Sad Cafe now, she says. We just can't. The name of the restaurant had come from a book both his mother and father had once liked, The Ballad of the Sad Café. They even named him after its author, Carson McCullers. The fact that he was named after a woman was something that used to bug him, but not so much anymore. Men, after all, aren't very high on Carson's list these days. His mother snaps her fingers. I got it. We'll call it the Roadrunner Cafe. What do you think? It's okay, I guess, but why? She leans in close to him, a little too earnest for his liking. Because we're roadrunners, Carson. Because we're never going to die. What do you think? I like it, he says, and he does, but he also wasn't about to let his mother climb up any ladders. In the morning, he tells her his voice soft, like he's trying to soothe the wild animal. But right now, you should probably try to call Georgie. This was how things worked, Carson leading her through the fog the best he could. When the call goes straight to voicemail, his mother leaves a brief message. Call me when you get this, or else. Then, as they're making their way back to the living room, she mutters, That girl's gonna kill me. Carson stops, stares at her. Sorry, she says. Bad choice of words, kiddo. Carson lets it go, like he lets go most things these days, and promises again to help her with the new sign in the morning. And you promise you like the name? I do, Carson assures her. It's cool. Cool, his mother repeats, before climbing back onto the couch, into the cave of blankets there. And we'll call the police first thing in the morning if Georgie isn't back by then, okay? She always comes back, doesn't she? She always comes back, Carson says. And before heading back upstairs to his room, he stops, watches as she sits up and carefully adds one more word to the scrabble board. Georgie. And there you have it. Don't forget to join me on Wednesday for episode two of the Roadrunner Cafe by Jamie Zernt. To check out more of my work, go to my website at kathycolas.com. That's C A T H I C O L A S.com. If you're an author looking to turn your book into an audiobook, email me at kathycolas at gmail.com. Let's talk. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review or share it on social media.